This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back in to the Linus 24-7 podcast coming to you from Happy Valley. We, we are one day closer to kickoff between the number two Ohio State Buckeyes and the number 13 Nittany Lions. Here at Beaver Stadium, noon kickoff, Saturday afternoon, we'll have full coverage at Beaver Stadium from the press box, and we'll be back with our post-game podcast after that. But we got a couple more podcast episodes to give you before this game. Of course, we come to you on Tuesdays typically, but we're coming to you on a Wednesday morning. We recorded on a Tuesday evening. Um, the reason we're coming to you a little bit later is because we had double duty at Lions 24-7 today. Not only did we get James Franklin in a press conference setting, but we got Micah Shrewsbury, head coach of the basketball program, in a press conference as well as part of the big Ten, uh, basketball media day here at Penn State. So uh, Daniel Gallon is going to join me right now. And not only are we going to break down what we heard from James Franklin and from three different Penn State team captains, but a little bit later in the show, so we're going to finish off with top takeaways from that Penn State basketball media day because there's a lot of conversation about some transfers, about a freshman class that came in highly regarded, uh, and we get a chance to talk about that. That season is fast approaching, but of course, we are right in the thick of it with football right now. And Daniel, there is certainly an opportunity to to seize the moment for Penn State. And, and you think about where this program was eight days ago when that game week got started for Minnesota, wondering how they would come out of that. Uh, they were able to get the reset kind of performance against the Golden Gophers, of course. They've got the good vibes back on campus. Certainly James Franklin, you can feel the air around him is different this week than it was last week. Uh, but they have a lot to prove on a big stage on their home grass. Definitely. I think that you look at the players that we're talking to this week and it kind of speaks to a little bit of the magnitude of this game. We had three team captains uh, on Tuesday. We're going to have a fourth team captain uh, on Wednesday. They, they've broken out some some heavy hitters, some good quotes. Uh, and I think it's a it's a good way to look toward uh, what we're going to see uh, on, on Saturday. I think that Penn State knows that this is a big week. Uh, I think that that's been clear from the couple players that we talked to on Tuesday. Um, and you know we'll 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 learn a lot more uh, by by the time we're recording on Thursday with our predictions. 
And one thing I found interesting with the team captains, of course, these are guys who have been around the program for a while. Um, PJ Mustafer in his fifth year, Sean Clifford in his sixth year. Uh, and then the other one we got this morning, you'll have to, to remind me who that was because it's, it's escaping my <laughs> mind at the moment. Drew Scruggs. Drew Scruggs. How could I forget the starting center for the football program? Um, it's year five for him as well. And, and Scruggs and Clifford, they have ties to the Ohio, to Ohio. Um, I know Drew Scruggs talked about hearing it from from some of his friends back home about being 0-4 to this point. P.J. Mustafer, I can I can recall when he was being recruited to campus and how pivotal it was when he was looking ahead to his Penn State future about winning these matchups against Ohio State and climbing that ladder in the Big Ten East. And to this stage, that 2018 class, there's not a lot of those guys left, but a big selling point for them and, and kind of the what people were reading between the lines in 2018 in some ways after that game when the great to elite speech was made was that was the class that maybe was going to be at the forefront of the next wave of Penn state football. Things have happened. Some guys are making millions of dollars in the NFL. Other guys aren't playing football at all, but PJ is one of those guys who's still around. Same goes for Drew Scruggs. And you can sense the one and O mentality is there, but they're not shying away from the fact that they have a lot to gain from this matchup right here. And I think under it all, and they're not going to say this uh, and we're not going to necessarily ask them directly about it, but they lose this game, and the national scene is going to kind of cast them to the wayside uh, moving forward because they lost to Michigan. They lost to Ohio State. doesn't mean they can't accomplish a lot with a two-loss kind of a season, but in, in the grand scheme of things, and you want to stay in that conversation, you want to stay in that spotlight, uh, Penn State would be kind of shuffled toward the exit door, not out of the rankings, but in terms of being part of the conversation in college football where they can really thrust themselves into it with an upset. If they lose on Saturday, the the path to Indianapolis, which if you want to make it to the college football playoff with two losses, it's going to have to be as a conference champion. Um, you know, that path to Indianapolis is pretty much, uh, you know, closed up, blocked off. Um, strange things always happen in college football, but I don't think that you would you can count on getting nearly uh, an, enough help to down the stretch uh, to, to overcome these two defeats. But I think that if Penn State, comes out and uh, you know and work to, to beat Ohio State it would not only you know reopen things in the Big Ten a little bit I think that it would also really reestablish themselves um, on the national stage because everything is so tiered now that you kind of know who the elite teams are and then Penn State has just perpetually been uh, in that second tier um, where when they bump up against one of those teams that's that's above them, they get knocked back down. And then, so I think that from a national perspective every year, there's always kind of a, all right, like, let's see what we got from Penn state. Like, we'll we'll, we'll see in against uh, Michigan and Ohio state. That'll be, be the real test. And um, for the most part under James Franklin, it hasn't got, it hasn't gone Penn state's way. Um, but you know, we'll see. There's a lot, there's going to be a lot of talent on the field today, which I'm sure we'll, or on Saturday, which I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a difficult matchup, but I think it does have the potential to be a fun one. And in talking to these team captains today, I think they're definitely going to be up for it. I think they definitely learned from that Michigan game um, and, and they have something to build off of after last week against Minnesota. We have thought pretty highly of, of the locker room leadership here with this Nittany Lions squad, really going back to August and, and, and kind of getting a feel for this team and have a, a much better appreciation for that, the way they responded uh, coming out of the Michigan matchup. But here comes that next test. And upon the last check at Caesars Sportsbook, 15 and a half point favorites are the Ohio State Buckeyes coming in 7-0 uh, following a 54-10 to victory 
over Iowa. That that followed a 49 to 20 win over Michigan State, a 49 to 10 win over Rutgers, and a 52 to 21 win over Wisconsin. So that's what they've done in Big Ten play to this point. And I note that 15 and a half point spread because on the current five game win streak that Ohio State has over the Nittany Lions, Daniel. The biggest margin of victory over that span was 13 points. That was a couple of years ago in an empty Beaver Stadium where Justin Fields put on a clinic. Uh, Sean Clifford couldn't really answer that. And quite frankly, the entire Penn State roster and, and squad at that point was, was on their way toward that spiral. Uh, but that was the biggest margin, 13 points. So 15 and a half, that's a lot in the matchup where you, know, you talk to some of our colleagues who cover the Buckeyes team. And the thought process there this week is they are well aware that Penn State plays up for this game. I know Michigan finally got to the mountaintop and beat Ohio State last season. But you look at the last half a decade sample size, which team in the Big Ten has been the biggest test for Ohio State or has made them sweat it out the most. You really can't look away from what the Nittany Lions have done. And that goes for here in Beaver Stadium and on the road in Columbus. Yeah, that, that's the thing that really stands out when you look back um, through that series. Uh, that 2018 game uh, ha- has come up in conversation a little bit with some a of the guys. A lot. A lot <laughs> today. That's pretty yeah. coming up a lot today. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what happens when you're talking to guys who've been in the program for, for half a decade, <laughs> too. Uh, but a lot of these guys, all these guys were there uh, that we talked to today. Um, you know, they're all watching, but they talked about because that was the last time that that Penn State hosted Ohio State in Beaver Stadium with fans. Um, that was another one of those kind of pivot point games um, when you look at where where Penn State was uh, in their season. Um, obviously, it did not go Penn State's way. Um, I think that that's probably a result that probably sticks in people's heads for a a long time. But it's a sign of of how Penn State plays up to Ohio State, even last year where that game it. It was always a kind of a two score game. It felt like a two score game for most of it, but it was still in the single digits. And Penn State just, or Ohio State just kept Penn State at kind of arm's length. Um, but it was really, a, you know, tit for tat game until Travion Henderson busted that big run. So Penn State is going to be up for it. Um, you know, I've felt really surprised that Penn State was not up for the Michigan game two weeks ago. That was maybe the most surprising part of it for me. Um, but some of the conversation has been about the younger players on the team um, and how Penn State is counting on a lot of youth. And against Michigan, they saw what it was like to really get punched in the mouth and, and have to deal with that. Um, and I think that there's a thought that that is going to help uh, going into this uh, Ohio State game on Saturday. And these guys have absorbed some punches to the mouth from the Ohio State Buckeyes. And, and Juice Scruggs, looking back at that 2018 matchup, which he watched from the sideline, so did P.J. Mustafer. Both of them were true freshmen. They did not play in that contest. But Juice Scruggs said it was heartbreaking. It was devastating. He, re- he, he actually recited the whole thing to us on the call today and says he remembers the score was 26-14 to 14, Penn State in that fourth quarter. Dwayne Haskins, that quarterback for Ohio State, a couple of big catch and runs for the Buckeyes. And we all know what happened at the end of that game. Miles Sanders met Chase Young in the backfield, and that was that. And those guys remember that. And what happened after that game in the in the media room, this was before your time on the beat, but I'll never forget it, was the great two elite speech. And one of our colleagues today brought that up in the press conference for James Franklin, now four-plus years removed from that great two elite speech that I think everyone remembers quite well, where he discussed the approach from the coaching staff to the players, 
uh, in season, out of season, in the classroom, on the field. It was a wide scale review of what it was going to take for Penn State to climb that ladder in the Big Ten and obviously reading between the lines to ultimately overtake the Ohio State Buckeyes. Since then, they have not beaten Ohio State. Very few teams in this conference have. Penn State had a couple clunker years, and now they're trying to match uh, Ohio State at 7-1 and one coming out of this Saturday. But James Franklin said, quote, I think in a lot of ways we've taken some steps in the right direction, but there's still some areas that we need to get resolved. That was how he kind of summed it up. Uh, he had a lot to say about that 2018 question, notably his excitement about the new leadership at Penn State with the new president, with the new athletic director. But there's no way around it. James Franklin has made some public statements, uh, gone on the record, saying some things during his time as the coach uh, that are easy to poke holes in years later. And of course, if they eventually get to elite and they're playing in Indianapolis and they're playing the college football playoff, that's going to be viewed in a different prism. Right now, though, based on what has happened since then, uh, Penn State has not taken that next and Ohio State, despite saying goodbye to Urban Meyer and ushering in a new coaching era. They haven't left. <laughs> no, Ohio State has really this run of success, when, especially when you look at the recruiting trail and the talent that is just going to Columbus year after year after year. Uh, it's, it's really almost a machine out there. Um, and within the Big Ten, it's for until the Michigan game last year, uh, it's pretty much been a buzzsaw. Um, so, I mean, when you look at the the trajectories of the programs, um, I think that Penn State, even with those clunker years, the fact that they've been able to avoid the big blowout um, against Ohio State, I think that that's something that should give you know observers uh, you know faith uh, that Penn State is kind of knows where it needs to go. Uh, is trying to point itself in that direction and is trying to get there. But it all really is easier said than done. I think that it's easy to look on paper and just say, oh, well, let's just recruit the best players and get all the best players here. Then we'll be like Ohio State. Um, you know, as James Franklin has made it abundantly clear uh, these these past couple of years, there's a lot more that goes into it. Uh, facilities, resources, staffing. Um, NIL. You know, NIL and now. You that, know, that's, that's the new that's one. <laughs> such that I mean, that is the one right now that, that a lot of the conversation hinges on. And and Franklin was asked today kind of about those things. And he said that that's a you know, conversation for the offseason uh, that that we can talk about that, uh, you know, later. And he's focused on Ohio State. But I think that the one thing that Franklin has you know, really tried to make it clear is that the effort that it takes to get a football program. Um, to that level. Um, and I think the fact that Ohio State is on the side of the conference, it really does give him something to point at uh, and really outline and almost you know, sort of a template in terms of this is what Ohio State has done. This is what this elite program in our footprint, not too far away, that has a tradition. This is what they're doing. Um, they are where we want to go. Sean Clifford did a pretty good job of downplaying this matchup. It'll be his fourth. And, and, and every year he does a pretty good job. People ask him, hey, you're from Ohio. You must hear about it. it you know, the same questions pop up every year for this. And to his credit, um, you know, he's, he's always handled himself well in Ohio State Week. I think at one point a couple of years ago, and I don't remember when it was, maybe before the season, Ohio State Week, talked about you come to Penn State to, to beat the Buckeyes. And, and he's always had the confidence entering this matchup. And 
his confidence should be high. I mean, this is a week where he can, you know, if he wants to go back and read things that were written and said on podcasts like this and, and across the way last week, he can have a, a hell of a time um, after a four touchdown performance and after being named the big 10 offensive player of the week. But it is a week by week, uh, you know, a kind of uh, a, accounting with Mr. Clifford uh, among the fan base, among the media and about where he needs to be for this program. And so, another step that's either going to be backward or forward against the Buckeyes <laughs> and James Franklin though, didn't, didn't really uh, duck away fr from, you know, kind of this beating of the chest and saying, Hey, look what our starting quarterback did during his opening statement, Daniel uh, in the media room. He says that Sean Clifford was named the offensive player of the week in the big 10. And then he had a pause and that pause lasted for a while. And he stared out over the media room. I don't know if he was staring at the media in the room at the zoom lenses at the fan base, through the computers and the screens out there. But he made an emphatic point there. He was asked about it a little bit later. Uh, he said that, that maybe it was a Wi-Fi issue because the person who asked it was on Zoom, which was a really funny joke, but it wasn't a Wi-Fi issue. We were all there. What did you make of that? Dramatic effect. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I think that it is a little bit of a, of a beating of the chest that, you know, the fact that, you know, Franklin stuck with Clifford and, and Clifford rewarded him and the team. Uh, and I think that, you know, personally, maybe I would have made the switch after the interception. I know that a lot of fans were ready to make the switch before the interception, uh, before the game, based on what we heard uh, in, in pregame warmups. And so, you know, I think that James Franklin is always pretty, um, you know, selective and deliberate with, with what he says and does. Um, you know, he was asked about the boos uh, last week after the game didn't engage with it. Um, and I think that this was his way of kind of uh, engaging with it, uh, you know, non-verbally. Um, and so, you know, I thought it was, it was a good effect. I had my, uh, my head down cause I, I was typing out and that's the part of the, of the press conference where things kind of go rapid fire. Cause you get the, the players of the game, then you get the, the D squad, then he gets into the players that on the other team that he's highlighting. And so I'm, I'm down taking notes and, he's not saying anything. And I look up and I was just kind of like, I was like, okay. Like, I was like, yeah, like you, you deserve this one. <laughs> you know, you, you won, uh, you can, you can bask in this a little bit. Um, but you know, today Clifford, I think that Clifford is on to Ohio state. He didn't really seem in a, in a spot to really dwell or, or bask in, in what he did, um, last weekend. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what that looks like, but yeah, I mean, you put it exactly right. It's either going to be a huge step forward or it's going to be a step back. Um, I think the one thing we've learned with Sean Clifford over these past couple of years is that the middle ground is very rare uh, if, it, if it is ever there um, in terms of his performance and, and how the team goes. So it's either going to be, you know, a, an ascension for, for Clifford or we're going to be back to where we were exactly a week ago. Yeah, the trade-off here is you know, James Franklin can you know can, can do that this week. Things go awry on Saturday. We're back to you know, one of us is back to asking about number fifteen, the, the freshman in that backup role, and whether he's going to stay in that backup role. And on and on we'll dance for the remainder of this season. But Sean Clifford can pull off a, a strong performance here, and we shouldn't necessarily pair that with Penn State winning. Uh, you know, he could obviously going up against the Heisman front runner. 
Sean Clifford could play the game of his career and they could still end up losing this matchup because of what Ohio State can do to you offensively. But uh, there is going to be a series-by-series measurement taken of of Sean Clifford uh, for the rest of the season, despite what happened last Saturday. That's just the way it's going to be with the dynamics in the quarterback room. But again, we've said it a couple times. I wrote a column. I wrote a story on it. Hats off to number 14 for what he did and start number 40, uh, considering he was really at the brink after that interception. I wasn't sure that he was going to lead the offense back out for the next possession. It felt like it could have been the end. It felt like it was tumbling down after all that time. Instead, three quarters later, he's the conference's top offensive player of the week. So uh, make sense of that what you will. Daniel, we also got P.J. Mustafer uh, this morning uh, from a defensive sense. Uh, this is going to be an, an absolute uh, buzzsaw they're encountering with the Buckeyes. The trigger man is sensational, but there are weapons all over the place. Many consider this to be the, the most talented wide receiver room in the country. Uh, we know what Travion Henderson has done through a season and a half with the Buckeyes, and they have other weapons available to them. Uh, P.J. must for a lot of respect, but I think this defense also figured out something about themselves last week. Definitely. You know, PJ Mustafer talked a lot about getting back to basics, back to the fundamentals. Um, a lot of talk about, you know, being gap sound and gap accountable. And it sounds like that Penn State really took that to heart, really emphasized it. Uh, and and that's what they did. Um, and they got a good result out of it. Um, so, you know, PJ Mustafer, we talked to him after that Michigan game and he really really wore that one um in in a very in a very honest way um and i think that that honesty kind of continued um into his uh into his availability this morning um you know they they know what they're in for with ohio state they know the names um they know cj stroud they know those wide receivers um they know what they're going to be in for and so um, you know, the way that PJ Mustafer leads, I think the rest of the team will know that too. Uh, he talks about his excitement to play in this game, uh, because he didn't play in it last year and he wasn't even at Columbus because he had just had surgery, um, after his season ending injury. So he's excited to be back out there. Um, Penn state needs him to, to step up and, and be disruptive and, and have a great game. Um, if they want to really you know, win things at the point of attack and then go from there. Speaking of disruption, we're going to get a sense on where Chop Robinson might be with this football team right now on Wednesday when we get a look at practice. Uh, he was not active against Minnesota. He was on the sideline. Uh, the other question we have there is, is Landon Tengwall back in play at left guard? He's missed the last couple of matchups. Hunter Norris has started on the left side. But the interior right now, as we discussed last episode, there are some looming questions, lingering questions until we get a look at them on Wednesday. And even that won't necessarily answer everything. going to be keeping a close eye late morning on Saturday about who's actually there involved, who's in uniform. Salim Wormley was on the field, off the field, back on the field. He's been a mainstay for them on, on the right side at guard, at right tackle. Caden Wallace, seven for seven as the starter there. He's rotated out, of course, with Bryce Effner. But if he's not available, what does that mean? Is that Bryce Effner full-time at right tackle? And what does that take away from your depth in the middle? And one name that keeps popping up in a positive light this week, Daniel, and, and you know, he played, I think, eight to ten snaps on Saturday. Uh, but when you help spring a 30-yard run and you're part of that highlight reel, it helps out. And also, uh, we've been hearing it with Venga Ayat. Uh, let me get this right. Yoane, 
he gave me the correct pronunciation when he came on this podcast this summer. So I, I, I owe him that. Um, and, and you know, you're hearing a lot about this kid, 340, but he, he moves like he's 310. Um, James Franklin says they want to redshirt him, but that might be hard to do. I didn't get the sense that Franklin meant that just because they may have some depth issues in the interior. It seems like what he's doing on the practice field and the way he is approaching himself as a professional, by all accounts, it may force Phil Troutwine and this staff's hand to get him involved. I think it, it kind of goes back to what uh, Phil Troutwine told me in August when I was asking him about, about the, the freshman and Vanga. And he said that the trajectory looked at right. The trajectory right now looked like red shirting, getting the getting up to that four game threshold and then being in position to contend for a starting job right away um, next year. And that was before they, they even really got into the meat of fall camp before they got into the, the meat of the season where he's been able to get more time, get these real game reps, put himself in a position to where when the depth chart fell, how it did with some of those absences on Saturday, he was the guy whose number they called to go in there and he was able to deliver. Um, I thought that James Franklin's comments about uh, his, his weight was really interesting uh, where he's 340, but he doesn't like need to be 340 or it was uh, and like, it's, just a, it doesn't seem like it's 340. Um, I, it brought me back to the summer when we were at a uh, at a camp uh, outside the Lash building and Vanga was watching the, the offensive line uh, campers go through drills. There were a bunch of parents uh, standing uh, along the rope. I think I was standing right there with Tyler Calvaruso and James Franklin pulls Vanga aside, walks him over uh, to all the parents and has them all asks them all to guess uh, yeah. what Vanga's weight is. <laughs> Um, and you know, he says, well, he's 340 pounds and everyone is, is shocked because, you know, 340 plays like he's 310 has, has the feet of someone who's probably around that weight. Uh, it's a, it's a great combination. And I think that this is shaping up to be potentially, uh, just a, a huge win on the recruiting trail, especially when you look at, uh, Penn state's recent history on the offensive line and how much of a question mark that position group was coming into this year. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This is a guy who was a mainstay on the offensive front for Graham Kapowitz in high school in Washington State, one of the premier programs in the Pacific Northwest. Um, he committed to Washington, the home state. Pac-12 programs were well aware of this guy going back to his underclassmen days, but 
Penn State's ability to, to get involved here late. Stacy Collins came on board, of course, as a special teams coordinator. He, he had some connections out there, but this is one that they were working for a while. Phil Troutwine heavily involved, and uh, they loved him on the official visit here when they had a chance to, to verify some of those measurements and get to know him a little bit, and they have absolutely fallen in love with him even more since he got to campus, the staff, the players, um, just really embracing his approach. And the fact that he is 2,700 miles away from mom and dad and off to this kind of start says a lot about the maturity level um, in this case as well. So Ioane, a name to know, and he's really maybe that next name that we should be aware of on the red shirt conversation because him, Caden Saunders at wide receiver, and fellow offensive lineman Drew Shelton, who got some reps at tackle uh, on Saturday, and they're all at two games, uh, so they can go two more without burning that red shirt. Nine guys, meanwhile, have burned red shirt status. Cornerback Cam Miller was the latest to do that this past Saturday. Two red shirts burned in 13 games last year. Nine of them burned in seven contests. And we've been wondering for a while. James Franklin told us coming out of the bye week that if if you players not in three or four games coming out of that bye. The plan is probably to protect the status of that eligibility. And I, I certainly get the sense right now that Yoane is really the guy to, to follow there. We'll see if Caden Saunders can make a move, but it's pretty clear that based on what we've seen lately, Liam Cl Clifford was getting some reps there uh, behind Parker Washington in the slot. Uh, I, I think they're, they're maybe content at this stage uh, to keep Caden Saunders eligibility, see if they need him later in the season. Um, they could use him that way. But uh, that may be really all she wrote in terms of red shirts that get burned, just kind of uh, reaching a new chapter as we write the book on this freshman class now. Yeah, the, the way that I look at it with, with these guys, especially the ones that are at two, is that I think you try to get to the end of the season and have them at three and save that yes. fourth one for the bowl game. Um, I think that maybe Penn State, I don't want to, maybe they learned a, a bit of a lesson last year. With, with all of the opt-outs uh, and maybe that could be something that is worth taking into account when, when kind of mapping these out um, because you don't know who's going to opt out. Um, I think everybody's know. figuring out still though, right? <laughs> I mean, you're trying to forecast the preseason or what your roster is going to look like uh, seven, eight weeks from now. It is very difficult, especially if you don't win 10 games, right? I mean, it's, oh, that's yeah. the way of college football right now. Yeah, but you know, if you can keep the, that fourth game uh, in the back pocket for for those guys, so they can get that full run of bowl practice and and full run of uh, you know in game reps, um, I think that that could go you know a long way towards the future. Um, we've already heard you know it, a little bit of a different case because it wasn't a, a direct red shirt, but you know we've heard a lot about how Olu Fashionu was really able to use those bowl practices and that game experience as a springboard for for this year. Um, but that that's still a long way away. Uh, mm. We'll see. But I think that, you know, Vanga is the guy when you talk about could who could be that 10th red shirt um, that gets burned, um, especially if there are some more, you know, nicks and bruises, bumps and bruises uh, up front uh, in that offensive line. It is very rare for an offensive lineman to burn his red shirt with this program. I mean, we, we thought maybe Landon Tangwall would be the guy to do it last year, even though he didn't have a senior season because of COVID, just to, because of the amount of training he had put in as, as a prep player and the polish he had. He didn't even burn it. And he was on campus last January. So for Ioane to show up in late June, put on the pads in August, and, and now we're having this conversation uh, you know, uh, uh, what right before this Ohio State matchup is really impressive and, and, and we'll keep tabs on his development. I think generally you mentioned let's not look too far down the road at the bowl situation. I'm going to look way too far down the road. The interior of this offensive line, really compelling 
and, and you know, going the next year, we'll see what happens. The transfer portal is a thing. Guys enter the draft when we don't expect it. But right now, everybody's eligible to come back. That includes, you know, your senior center, Juice Scruggs, because of that COVID year. If he chose to do it, he could return. Hunter Norzad came from Cornell with a couple of years of eligibility. Landon Tengwall's a redshirt freshman. Salim Wormley's eligible through next year. Um, so you start thinking about what the competition could look like, and, and you think about a guy like Nick Dawkins, who we saw in a sling on the sideline, and, and you, you think he gets back into it and what they're going to bring in. Uh, there's a lot going on there. There is a lot happening on the interior, and it's been great for depth for them to this point. Daniel, uh, you have your piece on Ohio State's players to watch up on Tuesday. You do this every week about the opposing uh, players. And I think James Franklin, every week he, he goes through it and he names players that they have a lot of respect for, that they're impressed by in preparing for the matchup. I'm not sure I've ever heard him list as many names as he did today looking ahead to the Ohio State Buckeyes. Who pops on that list to you? Uh, again, you've got 11 guys to review up on lines247.com, but for the sake of this podcast, why don't you give us a few that you think could really test the Penn State in any lines? I mean, you have to start at wide receiver um, and look at what Ohio State has there in terms of just a real you know, embarrassment of riches. riches. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., six foot four, two eighteen. Uh, he has 10 touchdown catches this year, 38 catches, 598 yards. Um, Emeka Agbuka has 41 catches for 735 yards and seven touchdowns. And, oh, yeah, Julian Fleming has uh, six touchdown catches, too. Um, he's someone who is, I think, finally breaking out uh, after people expected to see that a while ago. And I don't believe his name was mentioned. No, yeah. it was not. And neither just, was. Just, just gonna, I just, I'll just mention that. And uh, neither was Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, who has been uh, you know, dealing with a hamstring injury. Um, the, the reports out of Ryan Day's uh, news conference today made it sound like that um, Smith and Jigba could play Saturday in a more extended fashion. He was on the quote unquote pitch count last week, and he was the guy that everyone thought was going to be the one this year. Um, I think that he had some legitimate Heisman buzz coming into coming into the season about what he could be capable of doing. But when CJ Stroud is back there, there's really no shortage of options for him. Um, and they've had those young guys step up. You know, they lost two first rounders last year um, and it doesn't really seem like they, they've missed much of a beat. So, you know, it's Ohio state is becoming synonymous with wide receivers. So that's where you're going to start. Um, you know, CJ Stroud, it's kind of like, what more can you say about him at this point? He's just a very, very solid Quarterback always seems to know the right way to go with the ball. Um, and then I would also add that, you know, we mentioned Travion Henderson earlier, but Mayan Williams, uh, 5'8", 225 pounds, as averaging seven yards per carry and has scored nine touchdowns. Pretty impressive. Um, it's going to be a, a bit of a different type of test uh, for this run defense after the past two weeks, but a test nonetheless. Um, so that's what stands out on offense. Um, defensively, um, Michael Hall Jr. is a defensive tackle who leads them in sacks. Obviously, you have to keep Zach Harrison in mind. You know, the numbers have never really been there, but the talent is. Um, and he's part of, uh, you know, a pretty deep edge rusher group um, of Javante, Jean Baptiste, Jack Sawyer, JT Tuamalu. Um, and especially when you think about what is happening with Caden Wallace, who we saw exit uh, the Minnesota game early. You know, you wonder what Penn State is going to have uh, out there on the edge and with with Olu potential showcase game for him. 
um, you know, James Franklin shouted out uh, Ronnie Hickman, um, the the safety from New Jersey. I'm intrigued by Tanner McAllister, uh, a safety, and I think sometimes a nickelback. He followed Jim Knowles uh, from Oklahoma State to Ohio State um, and, and leads uh, Ohio State with three interceptions. Um, so you, you go through the roster and, and there's so many familiar names just from looking at recruiting rankings and seeing all of these former top 100 recruits. Um, and, you know, I, I singled out 11 guys. I could have just done all 22 plus the two specialists uh, and, and kind of gone from there. But it's a very, very uh, talented roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I think it's clear why some people consider this to be a better team than Georgia right now. Um, and w- when you go through it like that, it's going to be a big, big test. Well, there's only been a, uh, two or three teams that have just a seat at the table every single year, it seems. This is one of them. And there's a reason that we always point to this as the measuring stick for the Penn State and the Lions. And you go through it, you see the talent. Tyler Calvaruzzo, who does this every week, but this was the first week that he sat down and put together these com- comparisons in terms of revisiting the recruiting rankings and how these rosters were built. First time where you measure up Penn State against an opponent and say, wow, there's a bit of a gap here going the other way. Most of the matchups this year, you think Penn State certainly is going to out-talent who they have. And and really, you look at the remainder of their schedule, you feel the same way. Michigan's a team that it feels like it's very much even. Ohio State, just because of the way they've recruited, you're going from a deficiency on an annual basis right now. That's part of that gap that James Franklin wants to close. We're going to get into the Ohio State Buckeyes in this matchup a lot more on our Thursday episode. We will have uh, a guest from our 24-7 Sports Ohio State site, uh, Patrick Murphy, to break down this version of the Buckeyes, what we can expect to see from them in Beaver Stadium on Saturday, the strengths, the weaknesses, and just his thoughts as coming out of that Ryan Day press conference and where this team stands. Additionally, uh, Mark Brennan will be back on, Daniel Gallon, of course, as well. We'll talk about things from a Penn State perspective, let you know what we saw on the practice field. It'll be an interesting look at practice on Wednesday evening. And we'll also dive into our predictions to cap off that episode. But before we finish this episode, Daniel, uh, you spent the second portion of your day uh, hearing from Micah Shrewsbury and company at Penn State Basketball Media Day. And you can kind of forget when we're at this point of a football season and Things are very relevant with the 13th ranked team in the country. That basketball season is what just a couple weeks from now. Um, so it's, it's I will 13 ta- days, 13, 13 days, days from we're today, under less two than weeks. two weeks. So with tip off, I mean, surprise everybody, tip off is 13 days away. With that said, can you give us your top takeaways starting with the head coach who's in year number two? The big theme is just that comfort in year two, uh, where Micah Shrewsbury knows where everything is knows his players, even though they have, they have eight new guys on the roster, but it's, it's not new to both sides. Now Um, it's not new to him and new to the players. Um, The players are coming into something that is already established. There's already a framework for them to step into um, and the leadership from the five uh, returning scholarship players, especially guard Jalen Pickett, uh, the fifth year senior. Um, I think he is going to be the guy this year uh, in terms of, that emotional leader, that vocal leader, um, and then the best player on the court. Um, Micah Shrewsbury had a, had a good anecdote today about how the first day of practice when they did some five-on-five scrimmaging, uh, he put Pickett on the same team as as the five true freshmen, and that team won. Um, so I think that was a pretty good in- endorsement for both Pickett and the freshman class. Um, that was another big topic of conversation 
Um, you know, Penn State this is one of the best recruiting classes that Penn State has ever signed. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that even the coaching staff is a little surprised by by how good um, that some of these players have been. Uh, Keba Jai, the, the big man from La Lumiere in Indiana, uh, the way that Micah Shrewsbury talks about him is that the guy who's on campus right now is a completely different player from the one that signed in November, um, just with how his body changed. Um, where he was in in his growth spurt, um, he's still growing, and he just turned 18 on the first day of classes. So he's still young, he's still raw, and he's come along very nicely. Um, so that that's what stood out to me. Um, I spent some time talking to a couple of the new transfers, um, Andrew Funk, who came over from Bucknell. I think there's a lot of excitement about him because he was just a really big time scorer in the Patriot league average 17 and a half points per game last year. He gets to come to a place where he's not going to be seeing the top opposing defender every night. Um, you know, his role is going to change. It's going to be different. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot of excitement that he can really make some things happen and bring a different element. Um, but it sounds like the team chemistry is there. It sounds like the culture is headed in the right direction in year two under Shrewsbury. And I think from the outside, it's you know it's kind of easy to to overlook Penn State basketball. It's kind of easy to to underrate them. Um, I think that even though they played some a lot of teams tough last year, I think they'll still surprise some people this year. But I think that this team is really going to relish that opportunity and really make the most of it. I remember a couple of weeks ago during the Penn State football bye week, Mark Brennan had a chance uh, to cover the scrimmage, the open scrimmage that they had, and he was raving about just early impressions of the freshman class. It sounds like that was translated to you guys through Shrewsbury as well. Um, what is your sense on this group? It was, I believe, number 25 in the final 24-7 sports rankings. Um, we had our uh, leading expert uh, for basketball recruiting uh, on to, to break down this class uh, after they signed. And the optimism was there. And now that they're here, how much of an immediate impact and how much of a maybe raising the ceiling of this team are you anticipating? I think the key to it is Keba Jai um, in terms of can he play early? Um, it's kind of like what we talked about with the the offensive linemen, uh, you know, usually redshirting. You know, it's, it's hard to ask a you know, a, a post player to come into the big 10 at 17 or 18 or, or even 19 and just right away, you know, go in and bang every, every night during a big 10 schedule. Uh, and I think when you looked at what Penn state was bringing in, um, you know, initially both Keba Jai and Demetrius Lilly, who's out of low, lower Marion outside of Philadelphia, I think that both of them, you were kind of thinking, all right, you know, they're really going to need to change their bodies. They're really going to need to adjust. Uh, and then we can kind of go from there. You know, maybe it'll be later in the season uh, b- before you see a lot out of them. Um, but I think the fact that Kev Ajay is a lot more advanced uh, physically than we thought he would be at this point. Um, I think that could potentially raise the ceiling of this team a little bit just to have a post player. They have a lot of players who can do a lot of different things. Um, Evan Mahaffey is just a really long athlete out on the wing um, who can play guard and forward. And I think he's going to give them a lot of flexibility. Um, and then you look at the two guards in the backcourt. Uh, Kanye Clary is uh, more is kind of an undersized point guard, but he is he is physically impressive. 
Um, and I think that he is going to give uh, opposing ball handlers a lot of trouble on the defensive end. Um, and then Jameel Brown uh, out of West Town outside of Philadelphia. He's another kid who I think has the potential to shoot the lights out while also doing some things on defense. Um, so there's a lot of, I think there's just a lot of reasons for optimism and I think all of it's warranted. Um, you know, there's a, a question on the board today that was kind of like, all right, is, is he hyping them up? Is this legitimate? Where, where does this kind of stand? Cause that's the thing with, with every coach is that you, you kind of learn their language and, and, and learn what they're actually meaning um, when, when they say things. But I think that Shrewsbury has been pretty genuine uh, when it comes to, to how he talks about his players during his, his two years here. And I think that he wouldn't say this if he didn't think it was true. He wouldn't put these types of expectations on these players. So I think there's a lot of reasons for excitement, uh, you know, th- through all three different kind of groups on the team. When you talk about the freshmen, when you talk about the, the graduate transfers, when you talk about the returners, um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how all of that comes together. You know, 13 days, it's going to be Monday, November 7th, Penn State hosting Winthrop. Um, and then they're off and running from there. Well, hope always springs eternal uh, at, <laughs> at media day, preseason media day, whatever sport it may be. This is a team, though, coming off a 14 and 17 campaign, 7 and 13 in conference action. So I'll, I'll, we can finish with this. We talked about the optimism and the reasons for it. What is the biggest reason for pause or reasons for pause right now uh, that maybe prevent, prevent you from going down the road and saying Penn State's going to be in the thick of the March Madness conversation? I think you look at the front court. Um, that that's kind of the, the big question mark where you know John Hara did so much for this team and and was so important. Um, but even last year after Hara, they had to go so small um, when he was in foul trouble or or when he wasn't in the game. Um, and the Big Ten has has some big bodies. Um, you know, Hunter Dickinson is still at Michigan. Um, he's going to cause some pro- he can cause some problems down there. Um, you know, you look at how certain teams are built. Um, you've got a couple of teams here and there that are kind of smaller, built to run. Um, but then the other teams are, you know, they, they've got their big guys. They're going to bang it down low in the post. Um, so I think that that's, that's where you have some concern. Uh, Mikey Hen is a seventh-year senior who transferred in. Um, he's listed at 6'8". I think that the idea is for him to, you know, to eat up some minutes underneath uh, when, when Penn State needs it. Caleb Dorsey is a junior. He's back. Um, and then probably missing someone else behind besides Lily and, and Jai. But, um, you know, Miles Dredd and Seth Lundy are, are two guys who played on the wing or at guard and forward um, who, if necessary, can do things down in the post and, and can switch down there and, and do a little bit of dirty work. So I think the one thing that we've learned about Micah Shrewsbury is that he is going to, you know, whatever Penn State needs to do to win a game, he is going to do it. Um, I I don't necessarily think that he liked the way that they played last year personally when it came talked about playing at a super slow, deliberate pace. I don't think that's how he would be playing in his ideal situation, but it's what he had to do uh, for Penn State to win games. So I think that we'll see a lot of that this year, and I'm excited to see what that actually looks like. I think they're going to it's going to be a more offensively pleasant team to watch, um, but you know, anytime that you're going to be relying on this many young players and this many kind of new parts, you do have some reasons for pause. But I think the big one is, is what's going to happen in the front court um, because it's it's a game for bullies um, sometimes, and you don't you don't want to be on the wrong end of that.
Well, fantastic information. It's fresh information. We appreciate that. I know you've got some content coming up to the site, Alliance247.com, about what you heard and saw at Basketball Media Day. So really excited to eventually uh, release you upon the basketball beat, but we've got a lot to go uh, with the football season still ahead of us. So we'll be back on the practice field Wednesday. We'll be back with another podcast on Thursday. In the meantime, check out our content at Lions247.com. There is a ton still coming out of the Whiteout recruiting event, including fresh uh, information on Tysier Denmark, uh, the, 24/7, the top 24-7 wide receiver out of Philadelphia who made the trip up and will be deciding next month. Brian Doan caught up with him. Brian Doan put together an entire intel piece about what he's hearing coming out of the weekend. Um, so between him, Tyler Calvaruzzo, and Steve Wolfong, we've got, I think, 15-plus articles uh coming out of that event and there's a lot of meat on those bones so check it out at lines247.com if you're not a vip subscriber yet hop on in right now one dollar for one month or jump on board 30 percent off for an annual subscription on behalf of daniel gallon i'm tyler donahue we'll talk to you real soon on the next lines 24 7 podcast cbs wednesday we have so many cool diverse people from different backgrounds different beliefs different upbringings and it just keeps growing citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.